Exec MBA podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'd like to feature a conversation I recently recorded with Savannah Guernsey. Savannah is an Executive MBA format student in our class of 2019, and she and I recently sat down to talk a little bit more about how she decided to pursue an MBA, what led her to Darden, what she's enjoyed about her experience, and her advice for prospective students. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Savannah Guernsey. Savannah, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Brett. All right. So uh, tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you? What was your background before the program? Sure. So I am currently the Vice President of Marketing and Merchandising at Guernsey Incorporated. Think of it kind of like Dunder Mifflin, but a little bit bigger. You pretty pretty much have the company. Um, it's family business. I... Uh, I actually knew I wanted to do an executive MBA from the time I was about 23 or 24 because I knew I wanted to go into the family business and I knew it would be very challenging to take time away from work to go to school full time. So I had my eye on Darden for quite a while, actually. And so um, you obviously had a plan around an MBA and you thought about Darden. What about Darden resonated with you or appealed to you? I really liked the idea of the Socratic method as a way of teaching. I, I saw it as sort of story-based teaching. I was an English major. I do very well with stories, so I thought this would be a really good way for me to learn. I thought it might make the quant classes easier. Not sure if that actually played out, but that's what I was thinking at the time. So um, a lot of times we hear from prospective students that they're not that familiar with the case method, or it sounds interesting, but they have... You know, you're trying to understand exactly what it means. And you mentioned story-based. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it's actually like to be in a class, you know, case discussion? Certainly. So all of the concepts we're learning in these classes are built around a specific case. And you open up class with um, a couple of people just generally talking about what are the, what we call the case facts. Um, And honestly, when we think about class credit and whatnot, those are the softball questions that you grab when you're really not certain about the the broader material. Um, what's going on? Who are the actors? What's the financial situation, et cetera? And then you really get into the meat of what matters in this case? What do we think people should be doing? What do we think people are doing that they shouldn't be doing? And I think it's a really great way to engage with class concepts in a way that is less ethereal than if we were just working off of a textbook, for example. And it puts you in that position of a senior leader, right? Having to think about the case. Absolutely. It puts you in the position of senior leader. It also, I think, helps you remember things very specifically. We all remember the Alvarez case or the Firehouse case or Silverstone, who, gosh, that guy really just did not have control of his team. Um, At least for me, I found it very, very helpful keeping track. Yeah, the faculty talk about it, you know, like our brains are hardwired for for stories. And so it makes all the information that you're learning in class a lot stickier. Yeah. So um, you came to, you decided on Darden, Socratic method appealed to you, the case method appealed mm-hmm. to you. When you came in, did you have a particular idea as to what you wanted to accomplish career-wise? And did that change over your time in the program? Right. You know, I always have a plan and it's a, it's a great plan when I have it. It's usually in an Excel spreadsheet and it is color coded. Um, and I had a really, really good plan, really good plan. Um, like I mentioned, I'm in a family business. So my plan was I was going to come on board, jumpstart my career a bit to try to get 
more experience in the two years I'd be at the at this MBA program than I otherwise would on my own. I'm fairly young in my career, but I wanted to advance quickly so I could take some of the load off of my father. He could step back a little bit. Um, that was another reason I was really attracted to the exact format was I knew that I'd be surrounded with a lot of amazing mentors, not just with the professors, but with my classmates who indeed turned out to be really a fabulous resource for me on an ongoing basis. Um, I had, in fact, I actually had a specific suite position picked out that was going to be mine and I was going to grab that. And then that person would advance. I had this whole plan. Um, and I chucked all of it in March of 2018, I think. So March of last year. Um, I think the thing that my plan did not take into account was how much I would grow from the program and how much my perspective would change. And I hesitate to say that it made the family, the program made the family business feel small because I think that's really selling the experience of being in a family business and not being in a huge corporation short. But what I came to realize was that I'd spent a lot of time with some fabulous, fabulous leaders and fabulous departments in our organization and that the world was just so wide and there were so many other things to learn from other organizations. I decided I really wanted to step away from the family business for a while to learn different leadership styles from different people, uh, which is why I jumped into on-grounds recruiting and ended up in consulting instead. So what um, what kind of consulting will you be doing? So I'll be joining EY's mergers and acquisitions team in mid-August of this this year, actually. And so. moving from D.C. to New York City? Yep. Moving up five times square. <laughs> so Whew, um, that rent. <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah. Uh, imagine D.C. is an expensive place. Uh, New York's just a little bit more expensive. Just a little bit. Just a skosh. <laughs> so you are... Um, you just completed LR2, which is really the last academic experience of the program. And so it's fun to be around you and your classmates on, on Friday night for the sort of end of program dinner. You have graduation on the horizon. When you look back on the 20, 21 months of the program uh, that you've experienced so far, do you have any favorite memories or things that stand out? Well, we can't talk about LR2 without addressing the fact that the Who's won the championship on Monday night. So go who's, uh, that was, that was amazing. I, there were many, many wonderful things. I believe it was Lynn Isabella who put together the program for this year's LR2 and she did an amazing job. It was a blast, but nothing can top the who's winning. That was, that was great. I grew up in a basketball family, so that was. I don't know how many people <laughs> expected it, uh, this year. There have been other UVA teams that have perhaps had more star power, but the way that they did it, uh, just a brief time out here for basketball on the Exec NBA podcast, the fact that they played in three instant classic games and mm. persevered at every, every time it looked like, ah, oh, are they going to be able to do it from, you know, the game against Auburn and obviously Texas Tech going over time. And even before that, Purdue. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I actually, um, I was just, this is the part of a family business. I was having lunch with my father talking about this. I think there was something really magical about the way the team gelled together that really brought that home. I personally would love to see a Darden case about that for one of our LO classes, but. There are now me. more than one, I would say, ideas to action articles about Tony Bennett. And uh, so the first one is about his five pillars, the mm -hmm. organizing principles for the team. Mm -hmm. uh, it's out there on the ideas to action website. And then. 
there is now Sean Martin wrote a piece about the resilience of the team, obviously making history in the worst kind of way in the prior year, losing to UMBC in the first round, eliminated first time, mm-hmm. first uh, number one seed had been eliminated by a 16 seed. And then obviously this year yeah, winning the tournament. Which is just extraordinary to watch. I think we all were, I know I was particularly emotional. A lot of us were really emotional. Yeah, your whole <laughs> class was together, which had to be, you know. Oh, it was, it was great. We, I think it was about the best way they could have done it. Um, our alumni donations chairs, I actually, I'm forgetting the, the specific title. Amanda and David put together this event for us to ask us to all give. And it just happened to be the night of the game at this brewery, all of us together. Uh, and it was, I don't think anything could have been more perfect. So can we talk a little bit about the culture of the program? Because I think sometimes people think, okay, I can do the full-time residential option or I can do exec, and maybe there's some cultural trade-offs with mm-hmm. that. And do you want to talk a little bit about the relationships that you have with your classmates and sort of how you've gotten to know them over the 2021 months? Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, I've actually I've thought about this a lot um, because, I, because I'm at that age line where I really could have gone residential or I could have gone exec. I was right there. Um, and I sometimes do think that, in some ways, it would have been nice to do a residential program, to have focused full-time, um, to perhaps not be quite so exhausted as we are now at the end of it. But I, even though we weren't all together continually living together like residentials, I think the pressure cooker of the program actually drew us closer together, just extremely close. Um it's a tough, it's a tough program. Uh, you become, and it's a tough program and it's very hard for people outside of the program to understand what's happening. Um, so your usual support system, it holds for a while, but for a lot of people it started to buckle and we became each other's support system in a way you just, I don't, I've never experienced that in another educational program community building program, anything. I've never experienced anything like it. And absolutely, I think the closest friends I've ever made um, are out of the Darden program, actually. People who've seen me at my best, at my worst, dragged me along. Absolutely. So you were an IMBA format student. That's our executive MBA format. Uh, And you had a chance to go to China as your global residency uh, we've talked with a few students now about China. Um, the Great Wall always seemingly comes up, the trip to the Great Wall. Um, but what stands out to you um, from the experience or what did you get out of out of that trip? Uh, the GM factory, because I'm, I'm an ops nerd, even though I'm not particularly good at it. Um, but Professor, well, Raul was always really nice about it, um, even when I struggled with the quant side. Uh, that was that was so cool. Yeah. Uh, I come from a company that does, we do a lot of supply chain work. We're warehousing, we're, we're bringing product in, we're turning it up, but we're not manufacturing. And I've, I've been forced through some sort of experimental projects into testing the waters with really, really low level, simple manufacturing, putting things into a box as opposed to selling the things as they are individually. Um, and it's not easy. So going into China and seeing the newest technology, the most efficient ways possible of processing goods and controlling order flow and whatnot was just 
absolutely extraordinary. And you also went on a global elective or okay. worldwide course uh, with Lynn Isabella to Brazil. Um, we talk about the global residencies as being pretty intense experiences where you're doing core classes and obviously you're visiting companies mm-hmm. and having cultural experiences. Whereas the Darden Worldwide Elective is maybe a little bit less intense. You're, you're still uh, doing some class, but it's not the core. And, you know, obviously these this sort of the global leadership exploration component. You want to talk about how they compare and first what you did in Brazil and maybe how a DWC compares to a global residency? Sure. So uh, as with global residency, you do visit two different cities. In Brazil, we were in Sao Paulo and then we were in Rio. Uh, in China, we were in Beijing, then we were in Shanghai. But as you mentioned, the global residencies are extremely intensive. You're doing four classes worth of work. There's there's a lot that goes into those. Whereas uh, with the DWC, it's a single course you're taking for a week. Um, and so the pace is just a lot more relaxed. There's much more room for cultural experiences. Um, I, I have to give a shout out to Maria. She was our Loved her. She was our guide in Sao Paulo. We all still follow her on Instagram. I probably probably respond to her stories every two weeks or so, and I know I'm not the only one. Um, So there was room in our schedule to become close to people around us in a way that um, I didn't feel like I encountered in the... uh, the global residency, just because there's there was so much more we had to get done in the global residency. We were taking econ, we were taking ops, we had a lot going on, though. Don't get me wrong, China was absolutely fabulous, and we had some incredible speakers there. Um, Brazil, I enjoyed the room in the Brazil program to focus on just one course. It was about leadership in a global context, and it wrapped in in a bunch of really interesting ways for me. I remember watching this Samba class that we went to and watching how the group dynamic, how the instructor pulled everyone in, including Christian, who I never would have expected to to jump in, but he, um, he was very laid back in his approach, and we all just genuinely had fun. It was one of my favorite leadership lessons of the program, actually. So um, you mentioned you come from a more of a liberal arts background Mm -hmm. into business school and Darden has a required core curriculum. You're going to take quant classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would you what would you say to people from more of a sort of quote unquote non-traditional background or liberal arts background, poli-sci, English history, you know, looking at this program? I'd I'd tell them not to sell themselves short. I grew up just thinking I was just bad at math, flat out. Um, what I came to realize through, through not only this program, but also because I was doing um, case practice for consulting interviews and whatnot, was that um, math's like a language. You learn it like any other language. You can learn it and understand how it operates. doesn't mean you'll be as fast as everyone else, but... Um, First of all, there are going to be people who are struggle with the softer skill stuff that they come to you and say, hey, can I bounce this off of you? Uh, and secondly, there are the folks who are really, really good in the quant are always so, so happy to help you. Um, so for which I'm immensely grateful. Thank you to Jono and Matt Cox uh, and uh, Todd Vinerini, all of whom dragged me through different quant classes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. One of my favorite things being around for on ground on grounds residencies, and you see people in learning team rooms, and somebody up there explaining, yep. you know, working through the Excel spreadsheet, and 
it is very much by committee in this program, right? You're not doing it all by yourself. And, you know, I think that's the thing that everybody has their own approach. You know, people work differently, but almost invariably, I've yet to talk to someone here on the podcast that did not have a team or a group that helped them through the program. Absolutely. You, you pull each other along, which I think is one of the great lessons. So did you work with a learning team or a smaller group, or did you have sort of a, a, a roster of people you sought out that were in, in your class? Or? I had more of a, you know how uh, the in those 80s movies, mom always has that list of like, here's who you call for the babysitter, and it's poison control and fire department, and burglary stars. I don't know. Um, I had that. I had the babysitters list. Um, I loved my original learning team. They were great, but none of us really, I think we were all kind of scatterbrained. (laughs) And so we never, we didn't really stick. And instead we kind of broke apart and would come together as necessary or get absorbed into other teams as necessary, which was fine, actually. Um, it meant that I worked with a lot of different people because I was continually hopping in and out of different learning teams. So one of the things we get asked a lot about are specializations and concentrations, and we don't have those here at Darden. And I'm curious what you decided to take for your electives. You know, I went back and forth a lot on that, actually. And I still, uh, there are some electives that I'm so glad I took that I wasn't quite sure how, how they were going to go, and some that I look back on and go, oh, I wish I'd done the other thing. Um, so I, I thought about it a lot, and I decided I was going to double down on my strengths rather than taking a ton of quant courses. I took M&A because I'm going into M&A consulting, of course. Um, and honestly, I knew I'd want to take that no matter what anyways. Um, I took negotiations back in Q7 or 8. Um, Brazil, obviously... Strategic execution, I always loved strategy. That was one of my favorite core courses, actually. Uh, And then in the second quarter, I took starting new ventures, leadership, uh, leadership coaching, and creativity and design thinking. They were all great. There are some, I look back on one, I wish I'd taken Yorgos's finance class. I sold myself short. Again, non-quants, don't do that. You're smarter than you think you are. Um, I wish I'd done that just because it would have pushed me harder because it, it was scary. Um, and everybody loved the class. I mean, it's Yorgos. Um, but they were, they were all excellent. I think my f- favorite, I have two. I loved mergers and acquisitions. It was a fabulous course and, uh, leadership coaching with Connie. It's just great. Yeah. Everybody does get a lot of leadership coaching and I'm curious what, how did you use that time or what, what did you focus on, you know, with, with, with that particular course? Um, you know, it's, it's such a luxury to be able to, you know, work through something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So for, for those who aren't familiar with it or, or people who are just tuning in, maybe uh, the beautiful thing with leadership coaching is you have five coaching sessions with a really excellent leadership coach that Darden pays for, which is great. Uh, and then you also, so 50% is being coached and about 50% of the class is learning how to coach other people. Um, which was that, that latter 50% was absolutely fantastic. Um, I've been using it with my team actually now. I can still get better at it. I'm working at it. Um, but it was, it was really wonderful to sit down and talk about how do you 
how do you work one-on-one with someone to bring out the best in them without just kind of monologuing, um, which isn't entirely productive. So um, obviously here you are at graduation, you know, looking back um, on the, on the time that you spent here at Darden. Um, what do you think you'll miss the most about the program? I'm going to really miss those late night conversations on generally Friday nights where we're all a little bit tired. People are half doing homework or theoretically doing homework in air quotes in the lobby of the hotel. Um, but mostly just talking through the day, what we want to do, where we want to be. Um, I'm going to miss that a lot. And do you have any advice for prospective students? Obviously, a lot of who listens to uh, this podcast are people who are considering executive formats of Darden MBA, thinking about possibly going back to get uh, going back to school to get their MBA. Any advice? Do it. It's the best thing you can do. <laughs> well, Savannah, good luck. Um, Thank when you. Do you. When do you start your new job? August, I think it's August 12th is my first day. Wow. So yeah. you'll have a little bit of a break before you get started? Yep, yep. I'm well, gonna... What are you going to be doing? I uh, wrap up at the end of May and then Terrell, you know, Terrell, have you had her on here yet? Yeah. She's been on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Terrell and I are going to Thailand for a little while and then, uh, going to go visit family. I think I'm going to go crash with Katrina in Italy for a little bit and then end up in London and then back to New York. So lots of class of 2019 time still. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can't get rid of me. (laughs) (laughs) So yes. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this episode and you want to check out Terrell Fuller's episode, just a just a few episodes back. So, um, well, you'll have to let us know about about your trip to Thailand. I will absolutely. You'll see us on Insta. <laughs> well, Savannah, thank you so much for your for your time today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. And that was my conversation with Savannah Guernsey, an executive MBA format student in our class of 2019. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we are all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA, at Darden, Virginia, at EDU. Until next time, thanks for listening.